The World Talk Radio Network, live, wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to this Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water. What an issue for all of us to be thinking about, and this show has been dedicated for many years, thinking about the world we're living in. Sometime you might go buy a globe and put it on your table at home or on your desk at your work and remember that when you're working, I have one, and I try to remind myself every day that what I do is for all the world, not just for myself. The water in the world is the issue. And for some reason, I found through many, many years that I have been in water research there has not been a priority with our countries around the world to put in first place the number most the number one most important life saving healthy research all that is necessary for everybody to be well and to, for the globe for our world to be here forever and the universe is priority it's the fresh water and without that fresh water there is no life and that life to exist is vital for health reasons. Have you thought about all these diseases that we've been having that are getting worse? Yes, there's the, the medical field is every day coming up with a new drug, a new surgery, a new treatment. But if, what is happening? It's getting worse. And that's been my field for over 30 years is to study. What can we do with the dehydration of the body, of each living cell, to keep it alive, keep it healthy, keep it detoxified? What can we learn to do worldwide in research? And that's what this show is going to be about today, is fresh water and what is happening. We have, again, we have Dr. Dwayne Cecil. Dwayne is a Ph.D., He's the Climate Services Director in the Western Region of the National Climate Data Center. He's with the U.S. Department of Commerce, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Dwayne has formerly been with NASA. He's been giving his life and commitment, his professional career and research into understanding what is happening with the climate change and our water issues. We're going to listen to our sponsor, and we're going to be right back with Dr. Cecil. We'll listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research, and the product, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is fresh water, but it is tissue culture grade of water. It's a breakthrough. 
for the human eye organ. Did you know that the surface of your eye is 98% water and that when the eye drop touches that, it causes a dehydration? So Nature's Tears Eye Mist is a supplement to apply before the eye drop or a daily supplement to, for thirst quenching for those eyes that have allergies, common complaints of blurriness, burning, itching. That's Nature's Tears Eye Mist with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dwayne, are you with us? I am. Well, thank you. I know how busy you are, and fortunately, we've got you today. And, uh, Glad to be here. I would like the audience to hear what you've been doing lately, and uh, I told them a little bit about your past, but... Tell them what you've been doing lately and some of your issues that have been, you've been challenging. Okay, I'd be happy to do that. But first, just a point of clarification. My last position with the federal government, I retired from the federal government on December 31st, 2011. And you described my last position with the federal government. was. For, I wondered uh, about that because when that was handed to me, um, I thought it was something wrong, but that's, they said it was still on the uh, posted. So yep. you'll yeah, get me the latest one. Yeah, that was the, the the last position I had was the Western Region Climate Services Director, and now I'm I'm still working for the National Climatic Data Center, and NOAA, but I'm on the contractor side. Okay. And I'm I'm leading NOAA's efforts to take satellite thirty and forty years of satellite records and and turn them into climate data records for for all kinds of purposes. And, and my gosh, what water, a challenge! Water management's one of those one of those purposes, but. Uh, now back to your other question about what I've been doing lately. At the end of February, I was fortunate enough to be part of a team that went to the Hill in Washington, D.C., to Congress. It was a science climate day on the Hill, and the American Meteorological Society sponsored my participation. There's several organizations that that uh, participate in this event. It's once a year, and climate scientists and and applications and research from around the country are brought together to go to Congress and you go to each of the state delegations, whatever state you happen to be living in, and just 
we don't ask for any money. We don't participate in, in, in trying to influence any of the legislation that's going on. We just go to let them know that there's a resource of people in their states that they can draw on when questions arise on, on the science behind climate variability and change, and that we're here to help and, and that we, we really aren't trying to influence any decisions in Washington, D.C. We just want them to know that we're out here and we're a resource. You're educating them. Yes, and it was it was really quite successful. Now, how, what was the response? Uh, because they're so used to people coming there for money. They're used to people coming there with um, needing them uh, to solve some complaints or whatever. Uh, what was the response? Well, first of all, let's say, find let's find out from you. What did you say to them? Well, those both those things are related. So, the National Climatic Data Center is in Asheville, North Carolina. So I was part of the North Carolina team. There were four of us. Mm-hmm. There were three um, science and outreach practitioners from the National Climatic Data Center and one uh, professor from the University of North Carolina in Raleigh on the other side of the state. Mm-hmm. And the four of us visited a Democratic Center, a Republican um, Congress, uh, House of Representatives, also a, a Democrat in the House of Representatives, and my part of the state, I live in western North Carolina, is represented by a Tea Party Republican. And, and I, I tell you that because it's very interesting in how the reaction was. So you can, you can imagine that we had Republicans, Democrats, and, and Tea Partiers that we were, we were chatting with. And mm-hmm. when we'd start the conversation off with, we aren't here to ask for any funds, you could see their staffers you know, they just would slump in their chairs and smile that someone was coming not asking for money. Yeah. And, and that would immediately gain their attention. And so I, I'll use the Tea Partier, who is uh, Representative Meadows, as as an example of, of how I approached this challenge. So I did a little bit of research before making the visit and saw that he's very much interested in agriculture and so I looked around in our part of the state. And Western North Carolina is the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It's mountainous. It's heavily forested. In the county I live in, Haywood County, there's a lot of furniture-making companies. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's a, a large industry, and, and the park as well, the, the Smoky Mountain National Park. Mm-hmm. What turns out, there's a small uh, walnut twig beetle, a sixteenth of an inch long, that's indigenous to the western the southwestern United States and has been decimating walnut forests, walnut tree forests all over the west. It carries a virus that infects the walnut trees and eventually kills them. And what's the name of that tree? The walnut, the black walnut. Okay. Which is very, uh, it, it's, it's very desirable for furniture and for flooring. It's widely used in, in the east for making furniture and very beautiful wood. And so it turns out that this Walnut twig beetle has shown up for the first time in December 2010, east of the Mississippi River, in Smoky Mountain National Park. So how did it get there? So I posed to this Tea Partier that perhaps climate variability and change, with the winters becoming shorter and milder, that this perhaps no, I'm, I'm not, I don't have any evidence of it at this point, but perhaps climate variability and change brought this small one-sixteenth of an inch long beetle east of the Mississippi River and starting to infect the forest. As a matter of fact, in Haywood County, um, in that county, walnut is quarantined. You can't bring furniture in, 
lumber in or out of that county if it's black walnut because they want to they want to isolate this twig beetle east of the Mississippi River and try to figure out why it's here. So I propose that maybe it's because the winters are shorter and milder. So he asked me, he spent 10 minutes with me talking about climate variability and change. And it turns out he was at one time a meteorology student, switched over to business and then went into politics. But he was very interested when I related it to something that was in his district. Mm-hmm. And, this, and I've told you this before, the same thing happened when I was the Western Region Climate Services Director. And I'd go talk to the Western Governors Association if I walked in the room talking about climate variability and change, it didn't matter if they were Democrats, Republicans, Independents, I lost their attention. If I went to the next meeting and walked in the room talking about water, I had everyone's attention in the room. They're all concerned about how do they develop their states and, and make their states more progressive without water and energy. And, right. and, and so yet when, when we went to the Hill, we tried with every one of these legislators, whether they were senators or they were from the House of Representatives, tried to relate climate variability change, not did try, we did relate it to something that, that they had an interest in in their district and in their state, and then we had their attention. Isn't it true, all of us on this planet, I don't care where you're living in a hut under a tree or where you're at in your life, we handle, we only deal with situations when they become serious. We don't proactively do things before they become serious. Am I wrong? No, no, you're absolutely right. It, uh, because people, I watch, it's kind of like your toothpaste, for example, and I've done this with my research stuff too. Uh, I've been intrigued why we as human beings put off, put off, put off, until all of a sudden we become inconvenienced. Uh, it's the same way with your tube of toothpaste. Do you go buy it before you need it, or do you buy it when you need it, when you're running out? Wonderful. And we have a tendency to put things off. So when you were meeting with them, uh, did you find them uh, relating to you some of the things that are happening with their p- personal lives in their own states? Well, actually, unfortunately, the day this day was scheduled. It's it's an annual get together, so it's scheduled a year ahead of time. Uh-huh. And the day that we were scheduled to meet on the hill with with the legislators was the day that sequestration was cutting in. So they really had budgets and what the impacts were going to be on their states mm-hmm. was paramount in their minds. So we we wanted to be very careful that we didn't participate in any kind of discussion on that because that that really isn't our our field and not our responsibility mm-hmm. but you could just tell that they they were all very concerned about sequestration was going to go into effect mm-hmm. uh, I believe like the next day we were there on on February 27th so March 1st sequestration was going to go into effect and so they were very concerned about that and and they really were putting a lot of time into that and as a matter of fact we we really spent more time with uh, staffers than we did with the with the senators and, and the and the um, representatives. Isn't that concerning a little bit? Um, I, I have to tell you one. I had a guest on the show, and she had written a book with her staffer on working and uh, the, uh, with at, at the, at, on the hill. And I was very surprised where the staffers are so inundated with all this work they're doing to offer information to the individual who they're working for. 
and and I was just shocked at what all they're doing. They have to do all that reading of those bills. They have to do all that preparation for uh, the individual that's hired them. And now you've just said you were meeting with staffers, and that's not what you really went there for. Well, we did we did actually spend some time with the senators and and with the representatives. Yeah. But it might be ten minutes, and then yeah. we were and then we were with the staffers for one. We were with one staffer for Senator Hagan, the Democratic uh, senator from North Carolina, Kay Hagan. We were with her senior staffer for about forty five minutes, and we got the same thing from all the staffers. It's great that you brought all this information because we took um, small fact sheets and, and information package, packets. We didn't want to give them a lot of information, but we wanted to make sure that they knew that uh, how they could get a hold of us in their state. And every one of the staffers said, thank you for bringing that, but please email me. I don't have time to read all this stuff. They're, uh, yeah. they're swamped. There we go. Yeah, they're just and then, then piles and piles of email. And yet water and, and climate change should be a priority proactively and that's why i brought up this uh, our our lives today is we're putting off and putting off and when i had this one staffer that she had been hired and she and this other person were writing a book on what they do and all the excitement and the fun and all the other things too and i was i really have to say Dwayne, i was shocked at all they're having to do representing all of us and their staffers yeah yeah, they're just they're they're overwhelmed. And I they're over. Well, she was saying that if there's a baby being born in the family and that person can't get there, they may end up going there for them. They end up doing things to babysit children. Uh, da doing things. They're they're multiple. And when I brought up the fact that all these bills they're having to read, uh, how could they do that and give a report? And she said it is very difficult because so many of them are so lengthy. Yep. And see what's happening today is it, it, things have become so much more complex in the wording. And you and I both know the reason maybe all the wording has become so much more complex because they'll get the legality of the words they have to use to make sure they are using enough of those words that are protecting them from any legal problems so they get longer and longer and longer. And who can read them all? Yep. Exactly, and I, I had taken along the package of water information that you had graciously prepared, and, and again, you know, they were happy that we were bringing that information forward, but what they, what they need is something succinct, a one-pager with major bullets that gets right to the point and have right. it emailed to them. Right. That's really what they're after. So, so that and, then, was, and then I'm going to be up front because I've been in water research for so long on my end, uh, on the layman end, and uh, and I, I find Dwayne. When I started this company, this research center, long ago, I started out with people making fun. Not a lot, not a lot, by far few, but enough that were making fun that I was taking. Uh, I was doing this. What was I going to do with this? And then I was being made fun of along the way, even when we had breakthroughs and patents and all the attention we get around the world, we still have people uh, criticizing that uh, it's taken a few millions of dollars. Well, Dwayne, as you know, it should take multi-millions to a billion to accomplish some of the breakthroughs we've done. And you look at what's going on out there, Dwayne, <clears throat> excuse me, with the lack of uh, people are not taking serious 
what they should be taking serious before it gets to gets beyond their control. No. And that's what you're trying to do. You went there to try to representing your team and your people and, and yes, they were gracious. They, and I will say, they better be gracious. They know they have to be gracious. But when will they get to what you took to them to even read it? Um, well, that's a good question. And, and, but we can't be discouraged by that. And, and no, I don't mean that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. what is the, uh, uh, so for people like yourself and people like myself to get attention, and that's what I was always hoping with this radio show, that we could get worldwide attention to the seriousness of proactiveness of people wanting to join the team and be part of it from all walks of life, all the schools and all directions, of getting a proactive concern before it gets too late. Well, your, your best bet, my experience, your best bet, and I know you know this, is, is with young people. And and that's where we're going to get, right. get right. the participation and get the energy. And people get, especially in the United States, people get set in their ways. But there was another occasion about two weeks later that I actually got to testify in Congress on March, uh, see what day was it, 21st, March 21st, um, testified before the House Appropriations Subcommittee on Commerce um, and Science, and I, my testimony was on the need to continue um, flying satellites to observe the Earth to get a global and regional picture that we can't get with with on the ground observations. Mm-hmm. And that was that was quite interesting. There were uh, twenty folks that were invited to give testimony in the science section, and um, I was number ten. And the fellow just before me was talking about a large government uh, computer, computer uh, database system. And he finished his testimony and started to get out of his chair. And, and the chairman of the, the subcommittee, who's uh, Congressman Representative uh, Wolf from uh, Virginia, stopped him getting out of the chair. And he said, my comments are to this gentleman and to the rest of you. To the rest of you, there is no money. And then he spent about five minutes, five minutes talking about entitlement programs and how they're bankrupting the country. And so we hear this in the news day after day after day that the Republicans and the Democrats can't compromise and they can't come to deals on budgets and they keep fighting each other. And, and until we can get past that and, and get some leadership that can set folks down and come to some compromises and get, get past some of these issues that the whole country faces, then water doesn't become an issue until, like right now, I was looking today at the, dr- the, the drought portal, the, the uh, U.S. drought monitor that NOAA produces. And the whole central part of the country, from Texas to North, North Dakota, is in the most extreme drought condition that it can be in. That this monitor, I mean, it's, it's beyond extreme drought. It, it's, ex- it's called exceptional drought. Mm-hmm. And until we really are faced with these issues, like you said, until until you're really hit with a crisis, Americans tend to just muddle along and not get involved. And it's not like the '60s. Uh, you know, if you loved them or not, the, the '60s, the, the American public was involved in demonstrations against the war in Vietnam and, and equal rights. And it seems like we just take so much for granted. And and I'm I'm just not sure how we motivate. We have to go to the youth and try to motivate some participation. Well, you know, I've wondered about that. I can remember many, many years ago, 
I look back on it, and I've always said to everybody that uh, young people are very energetic and see things in a much clearer way, uh, not so complicated. And you are right. And they get serious about, because they're young and they're serious about uh, what, what's, gonna, what's everything going to be like when they get there and they're older. And uh, I remember organizing the first United States Teens Against Cancer to fight cancer and education. Everything was education. We had over 500 kids here in Southern Oregon, um, just as many boys as we did girls. And young people do have energy. They do like to work toward causes to what makes things better, to help things make better. Yeah. Now, yeah. I was going to ask you um, on that we have here in the United States in Tennessee and uh, Georgia, that pro- problem that's going on there. You mean drought? Yeah, and they're yes. fighting over a river. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and Boundaries I, of a river. I just heard uh, announced um, over the weekend that the city of Denver uh, is planning on diverting most of the water in the Fraser River, which is a, a small tributary to the Colorado River just north of Denver, they're going to divert that water for the city to use because they're, the, the, the drought is really starting to hit the larger metropolitan areas in the Midwest, like like Denver on the on the in fact, western edge of the Midwest. Denver to you today. I mean Colorado today too, because we have California and Arizona and New Mexico, these different states that have been using their water. Yes, they've been. They've essentially been mining. We've talked about this before, but they've essentially been mining the groundwater, and it. I've given you a figure uh, once before on, on, on an earlier show that the average turnover rate for groundwater systems on a global scale is 330 years. And so that means if you pollute it and you just let natural processes go forward without trying to clean it up, there's going to be 330 years before that groundwater system is turned over. Well, if you, Im- you, pu- you impose on top of that a usage of the water, and we're mining it. It's the same as as, as mining some uh, geologic resource. We're taking that water out faster than it can be replenished, and so mm-hmm. groundwater levels are dropping. And now we're in drought conditions on the surface. On the surface, and so the metropolitan areas in the Midwest are in a in a crisis state. And so, how do we respond to that? And 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 what my concern is, in in the early seventies. This country seemed to be making monumental strides in water management and water awareness. In 1972, we, we passed the Clean Water Act. In 1973, we had the first formal water commission in this country that made some, some recommendations in 1973, things like uh, the federal government should no longer subsidize irrigation water in the West. Well, you can imagine what kind of reaction that had. So here we are, 41 years later, after the Clean Water Act, after that first and only water commission in this country, federal uh, and state, international water commission that this country's had, 41 years later, we have no water commission in this, in this country. I was we going have, to ask you that today. Uh, so there is no water commission. There is no water commission. There was a House Bill 135 um, asking for a 21st Century Water Commission, it was the Water Commission Act of 2009, which, by the way, was sponsored by Representative John Linder, a Republican in Georgia, to address the very thing you just brought up, that Georgia was facing this kind of situation year after year on an extended basis. 
he he brought forward with eight other uh, Republicans and Democrats House Bill 135, the 21st Century Water Commission Act of 2009. It didn't even get out of committee. Didn't go to the House for a vote. So here we are, 41 years later. We have no national water policy. We have no water commission, and the government, for whatever reason, our representatives and our senators in in Washington D.C. don't think this is important enough. They're all and they're all really concentrating on some really important things: the budgets, jobs, getting people back to work, getting the economy started back up. But. What are we going to do about these water issues? We're not addressing them formally in this country. You're being very polite uh, about they have, you know, I mean, I'm very upfront about priorities that they're, uh, I think personally, they're, they're beyond their experience. I think that, that what, the, what they're having to deal with, if a CEO from uh, Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer or Merck or these huge corporations had to they have to have multiple tasks a day, multiple, and people hired that have multiple experience to be able to work with them as a team. I think our politicians are out of their league. I don't think they know how to run, they wouldn't know how to run a business. I don't think they would pass the bar for being hired to be a CEO of any big corporation. Now that's how I feel about it. They're not knowing what to do, and you can't leave it to these staffers. Well, I, I agree with that. Um, and uh, so you're being very courteous with how busy they are and all that they're having to do. But there's, you know, the United States was built on an infrastructure that was very priority to everything they did. The infrastructure was a priority. Every corporation has to have a pr- infrastructure. You have, you sound so structured. You have to, ha- you have an infrastructure plan. They don't. They're so fragmented to being stretched out and stretched out. They're beyond their means, and they're not hiring people with really good qualifications. Even in our White House, we do not have the very best qualifications that every CEO of a corporation would have to have to be able to handle all of the distractions and all the things that have to be dealt with each and every day. And how do you prioritize it? And how do you keep people from tugging at you to go beyond what you think your priority should be? Um, and water, to me, as you know, and yours too, water is a vit- is the vitality of all health on earth. And uh, my thing is that they're going to be punished all over the world. And this country is going to be punished uh, for having had this happen. Will Canada go through it? Because they have so much water and so few people, and their industry is not what the 50 states are doing here. We're like 50 little countries, Dwayne, operating every day to survive within their borders. Well, I mean, that's that's the, the pro and con of, of our state system. I mean, it's it's great to have states' rights and state independence, but like you said, there's there's 50 different ways of, of addressing these issues, and and I think we look to, toward the federal sector and the federal government to provide some leadership and some guidance, and then step out of the way. Well, we're not getting getting that leadership and guidance, and and you know the fact that we're not getting it on on my field of expertise, climate variability and change, I think is a reflection of of our inability. I've been at this career about 36 years now, and and, and I think it's. A, one of the factors is our inability to communicate well what what really is important. 
and and also to talk about the latency or the timing of of when we think these issues might take place and if we can could convince them with with sound science and data which we have that the, the time to act is now we need an energy policy in this country we don't have it we need a water policy in this country we don't have it we need a climate change adaptation policy in this country we don't have it and it's because we get down into these political fights in Washington DC on on things that are important to each one of those 50 states but collectively these issues energy water climate variability and change weather extreme events affect everybody they have no boundaries and no borders and we're going to listen to our sponsor and i'm going to come back and i'm going to kind of pick your brain on some of these uh issues also uh with these satellites and uh what we're doing with some research um because like you just said you have to prove to these people there is a problem and uh Dwayne, don't go anywhere we'll be right back i'll be here Okay, thank you. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, with just a mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Cecil. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. You know, Dwayne, when I sent you what I sent you for why I take so serious this uh, freshwater issue, is uh, where I, many years ago, about 30 years ago, I was studying the disease cancer. And I was wondering why some people get so exhausted from the stress of the diagnosis, and sometimes the stress will take them before the diagnosis of cancer. So I started studying. And, Duane, I came to conclusions and now have come many years and millions of dollars to prove this in science, is we already know that the human body is here on Earth as a miracle of something happened with the magic. But the body living on the planet Earth with the rest of the universe, not flying away like Mary Poppins, able to walk on the Earth, but it's here and it's it, it's got a skin covering up, which is like the Earth has soil, the skin of the human body 
is the soil, is the surface of the of the world of the person. But internally, we have 50 trillion cells with water. Now, outside the body, we must have fresh water moisture in the air. And if we don't have that clean, fresh moisture called humidity in the air, we are susceptible individually because no two people dehydrate the same. No two eyes are alike, no two fingerprints, and much more are different. So we're dehydrating differently. So when I look at the climate, the earth, the fresh water as a signal, that it was a magic was brought here, whatever magic had happened, but life began, and life has been able to live through all of these challenges with the changes that the earth is going with, and it will change forever, but it has to have fresh water on the surface of the earth and a clean enough air to breathe and humidity to be able to fight the diseases of dehydration. So I look at it like it's life and death. And putting millions of dollars behind it, and yes, I should have put millions more, but... Uh, we're in the we're at the point now of looking toward uh, the research center that I'm the founder of, getting in a final position of going out and proving to the world they're taking they're looking at well the earth has this the earth has that freshwater lake there that stream that river da 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 and then they have over here an ocean but they're not realizing that this whole planet is living together. And we're learning all about that, and then and we learn it scientifically. But Twain, my gosh, there's common sense. You should be able to prove without scientific. You should be able to prove without a doubt, without that fresh water in every single community and and state. There's there's no there'll be eventually water wars that are going on over here because how long can, will people survive with all those diseases mm-hmm. that are multiplying more every day? No, I, I, the diseases I agree are not slowing down. Yep, I agree with you, and I and I. You know, in, in conversations we've had before that I, I relate it back to population growth, but let's back up a little bit, and, and I don't know if you've had a chance to read a book called Cadillac Desert. No, I haven't. Uh, it's by Mark Reisner, and it's about development of water resources in the U.S. western states during um, the early 1900s, and there were water wars then, and they were all-out wars. People were injured and killed. And we came up with Western Water Law, which now uh, really states that the first person to file for water rights in the West has that water right forever, and they can pass it down from family to family. But if you take a look at that book, um, it, it's it's a fascinating history on, on how water was the key to developing the United States West, and still is. And, and as I told you earlier in this conversation, that whenever I would visit the Western Governors Association, this was number one on their list is water. How do they keep it clean? How do they uh, efficiently uh, supply it to their citizens? And what I see in the federal sector, we could be, uh, let's talk a little bit about efficiency. We could be so much more efficient just in the federal government looking at, at collecting water data and looking at, at monitoring and regulating water supplies. 
We have the EPA. We have the U.S. Geological Survey. We have NOAA. We have the Corps of Engineers. We have the Bureau of Reclamation and many, many other state and local agencies. There are 30 federal agencies, boards, and, and regional commissions, for instance, like the Columbia River Basin Commission, that have water-related programs and responsibilities. So you start looking at this from from a local level to the state level to the regional level to the federal level to the international level. We have so many people that are trying to do the same thing. If we could if we could get a water policy in this country, and have an earth science, earth system science bureau that that took all the expertise and regulations and and. Uh, management from all these agencies and put them under one roof. And, and I, I'm not, this is not an idea that I've come up with. There was a 2006 editorial in Nature magazine by the former head of the U.S. Geological Survey, the former head of NOAA, the, the director at the time of Scripps Institute Oceanography, and several others that said to be more efficient and to really address the environmental issues that this country faces from the federal level on down, we need one agency with one secretary that is a, a cabinet-level position, has cabinet-level responsibility, can protect the programs no matter who's in the White House or who's in Congress. But we're, we're scattered across the landscape. We're sc- each of these agencies has a budget. Each of these agencies have staff. They have a mission. Uh, they've tried to work together through, for and, and climate change, at any way, climate variability and change, they've tried to work through a, an organization called the U.S. Global Change Research Program, which was mandated by Congress in 1990 by the Global Change Research Act. Thirteen departments and agencies participate in the U.S. Global Change Research Program, but each one of those 13 agencies has its own budget, its own mission, its own staff. And whenever we'd get together in a room, we'd all talk about how great it would be to work together on some project, whether it's Columbia River Basin, Chesapeake Bay, Florida Keys, whatever, how, how great it would be for us all to pull our resources and work together, then go back to our offices, sit down with our bosses, and they'd all say, okay, well, that's fine, but here's your mission, here's your staff, here's your funding, get that done. And if there's anything left over, then you can cooperate with the other agencies. It's been too fragmented. It's too fragmented. We're all over the map. We you know, you were talking about um, uh, going to have to prove it in your meetings uh, that this, what I call common sense, and what I've been able to do in science, that I add to everything everybody does. It's just I'm the common sense side if you're out of the box. And I had a Nobel Prize winner on here from Switzerland, and he got a Nobel Prize in chemistry, but he was able to prove that that molecule in that cell is water, too. And he said it took many, 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 many years to prove to them that that didn't that what it does, the functioning of it. Isn't it sad, Dwayne, that our common sense, that we have to keep proving over and over again what common... They don't want to believe common sense. No, and, well, uh, I mean, science is science. Now, today, before we're done, too, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the dark particle. Did you Were you able to look up the CERN group out mm-hmm. of Switzerland about some of their latest uh, discovery on the dark particle? Uh, actually, I looked at, at NASA's announcement and, okay. and, and what, they, what they're observing from the space station as what they, they think might be dark matter. I mean dark matter. Didn't yeah. mean to say particle. Yeah, dark matter. And dark so matter. I think this, uh, again, this kind of a situation comes back to 
the science community. Um, now, the CERN group is a very fascinating group in Switzerland. It's been there since 1954. Mm-hmm. And uh, the CERN group is a fascination now. Um, it's it's a, a, a council of European research and nuclear research, but the word nuclear doesn't mean a thing compared to what our audience thinking about nuclear. Well, they're the ones that uh, take uh, they in, way back in time. One of their members uh, was the individual who invented what we were able to do with the web now, uh, with the internet web. Uh, they've done so many things in Switzerland, this group. Now, the United States, I was just shocked. The United States has not been actively involved with them. They've got all these different countries involved with them. But where I'm coming from with the uh, dark matter, can you explain to our uh, audience what that excitement that they're thinking is something they're finding out there with dark matter in, um, in, uh, in our universe? Well, that that was one of the things I was going to say about communication because, as as I understand it, um, dark matter is is theoretically what makes up the universe that doesn't reflect any light or radiation. But because physicists and scientists have looked across the universe, looked at individual planets, and have calculated a mass, they come up short. And so they theorize that this dark matter and dark energy is what makes up the difference. And, and they, and they think, think that it's a, if, if it's the more they look at it and in time, it shows it could be a, a, as much as 70%. It's actually more than that. It's about 85%, 85%. of the universe. Yeah. And okay. about 15% is, is normal matter that we can see and that reflects light. And, the, and, and this dark matter is invinc- invisible. Right. So, so then my question is, so what? I mean, okay, so... Well, I'll tell you where I came from on my excitement. I've been theorizing for so long, okay, we're depending upon the humidity of the earth and our, uh, to absorb into our body to detoxify us and keep us healthier. We have to have it. And if there's not enough fresh water on the surface of the earth, we will eventually... The diseases will be by far out of control. That water in the air is vital, that, and that's got to be hopefully clean water, humidity in right. the air. Right. And what's happening that I've been watching is every time we're having this climate change, but we're, did you notice how the temperature, you'll get out of bed, and the temperature will be one way, and then the next day it will be another way, and your skin and your body are bouncing. They have to, in the dehydration mm. of what is happening. Well, if there's something there in the air that we haven't discovered called dark matter, what is that dark matter doing in the air we're having to live with for the organisms to be able to breathe okay. and live Fair and individuality? Question. That's where I came from. Yep. Fair enough question. And I was just getting back to the, to the communication. So when I read these reports from, from the astronomers and the, and the, the physicists and on these kinds of things, they're excited because it helps their equations balance. That they can they can begin to understand how the universe was formed and how it's expanding, and and their equa- they can balance their equations. But it comes back to to my field, our the climate scientists, not really doing a very good job of relating 
what we see in the data to the everyday lives of, of Americans. And, and I see that with this. So if they could, if they could communicate what that means, like you just did. And same way. Well, yeah, my theory, yeah. Uh, I think that eventually I will, my theories will be proven to have some, uh, real future is that we're living on here uh, as an individual. And it's many of the scientists I've had on have said too, as an individual, we're almost like little orbits of our own. I mean, here individually. People are forgetting that their individuality is such amazing, but it is water. And that toxin in the body has got to be detoxified and your human skin is vital to that toxin. If we're, we have had a climate change from the beginning of Earth, um, anybody who says that it hasn't been changing from the beginning of time, it's always going to have its change because it's moving along in the solar system. Well, when I look at the air we're living in, that we're not learning enough about how, how we're individually living with that air, humidity, and that environment, we're in, atmosphere we're living in with the rest of the universe. We're, you know, it's just like living with the moon, the stars, the rainbow, and all this now dark matter. What is dark matter? And then all of a sudden I looked up and I started studying some of the electrolytic side and the energy side of that matter. And is that the secret that could be found that maybe we ought to change our diets more? And doesn't mean it has to be extreme, but maybe our diet is a problem. We can't live with that atmosphere. And maybe we're not drinking enough water or there's something that we're doing that we need to learn from here on that's vital to detoxification and hydration to the body to be able to slow down some of that dehydration. These, these diseases are out of control. And what I, the one, number one thing I noticed of all of, all of it, uh, Dwayne, is the stress load that people can't handle at all. Right. They right. can't handle it. What is causing that stress to be, even a person who becomes addictive, it started out with stress. And then all of a sudden, why did they become addicted to something? I don't care if it's chocolate or what it is. They became so uh, comp- vulnerable to the uh, allergic reaction to what may be, and they are, we're calling it addiction, but it could be an allergic reaction that maybe we could help other people deal with it by learning how to live in the area you're living. See, I'm talking about things that most people don't discuss. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have my own theories, and maybe we could do another show on it. But I, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's related to the to the stress that you you talk about. I'm I'm actually has started writing a book that I, I've so far tentatively titled it. There are no more Neil Youngs. The loss of creativity due to the computer. Revolution. Oh, you're right. And I you're think that, right. I think that's got a lot to do with stress. And then and also what is happening all over the world, and you know, I was going to bring up our China situation today. I was just talking to somebody who just got back from China, and they said, too, the pollution. Can you imagine those particles that they're having to live with in the air? And I was just talking about all these diseases because of the air we're living with. Uh, you're right about... Uh, What's happening out there? Um, we've got to start deciding. You know, if I think if they went after stress number one and learned what we could do to relieve some stress for people's vulnerabilities, that might be the first sign to relieving some of these other diseases that come on. Yep, 
Yeah, well, and China's China's another show. I mean, it's the oh my gosh, I uh, they're trying to get us over to China with our company, and and one day we will be, and I can hardly wait because there's so much we can offer. But uh, now, real quickly, uh, I wanted to ask you. We've only got four minutes, but Dwayne, one of the first things anybody out there in the world that's a layman would think when we had all that rain come down in the United States of America this last year, the rain came and other parts of the United States. What are we doing to study to save some of that rain and not let it all run to the ocean? Well, I, I think locally a lot of that's happening. You can, you can get online and look at the city of Chicago and city of New York. They have climate variability and change plans and policies in place, and they're, they're catching um, water on the roof, and they're recycling storm water. And so I think locally, and we, and we wanted to do a show about this, and we haven't been able to do it yet, but locally many things are going on, and, and that's sort of the paradox. It comes back to you talking about 50 individual countries and 50 individual budgets and policies, and there there's a there can be a downside to that, but there can be an upside to it too. There's There's some very unique, and progressive individual thinking and group thinking in local communities and counties and states all over this country that are are not waiting for direction from Washington D.C. and and are are moving out and 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 making plans and addressing that that issue among others. How well, are we going to know, the I water? Think, don't you think that we ought to stop waiting for Washington? Our forefathers they did it with the individual states. And that's why, Dwayne, they attracted all those big businesses and they would take a little business and help it grow up in each of those cities and states so that they would also be paying the taxes in the community to, for, to support what the community needed. And those companies didn't mind because the companies were supported by those communities. So every state was thriving mm. to build those businesses up. And yeah. those businesses were supporting the destiny of their community and their state. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and uh, we've we've lost we've lost that drive to want to attract those businesses to want to grow up and be in these communities so that they will be uh, successful. They will pay taxes. I can't tell you what we have to pay on taxes just for equipment to sit to sit here. I mean, where is all this money going? And the thing is, is with all these companies that would grow up and and this get the community support and be a big company, then all of a sudden they're able to build their own infrastructures with with a good business plan of a, a proactive plan, yeah. thinking yeah. ahead and not needing Washington D.C. Uh, uh, they could become much more individual. But we ought to do on on the individuality like uh, the recycling. Uh, I did have a show uh, with them what they're doing with them and what they're doing in Singapore, and recycling plans, and the recycling of the water is working for them. Yeah, and there's there's individual communities in the United States that are very progressive and really are leading by example in, in addressing these environmental issues. On a, on a local scale, and they shouldn't have to cost enormous amount of money. They actually save money. Yes, I think they would make save money and get the community, and there's where you can get your children involved, your youth. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, and thank you for you go, you're all doing your team, and uh, let's have another show one day on uh, the local communities and what you'll learn about that. But again, there's a lot to be done. Yes, and when we when we start when you start accomplishing something, you can never let them forget where we're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for having me on again. You have a nice day. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, I believe that was a very good show, and I think you all know that uh, we have a situation in China where there's over 100 rivers polluted. That's freshwater rivers polluted. There's no end of problems. Around the world, there's no end of problems with drought where there is no water. And then when the water does come down with the rain, what are we doing on this planet Earth to help that community, wherever it is in the world, save the water? Uh, so it doesn't all go down to the ocean or we lose it into aquifers altogether. Now, as you know, the body is 80 to 90% water. You've got those 50 trillion cells. And I hope you're drinking 8 to 10 glasses of fresh water a day with no added ingredients. I'm not counting coffee, tea, juices, or added vitamins. Whenever you add a vitamin or anything to your water, you're slowing down absorption. So remember to drink the water plain, pure with just plain water. Eat the proper foods. Don't eat foods that are hard to digest. That is what it's going to come to in time to live on this planet Earth together. Well, I want to thank you for listening. I enjoyed the show. Dwayne is one of the greatest guests anybody could have, but all of our guests I've really appreciated through the years. And I really appreciate what Polly Featherton does and uh, and Bonnie Mark, our secretary. I want to thank you for listening. I want to hope you will embrace your life, every precious moment, because it is uh, it is that moment and somebody else's life too. But Earth whispers to us, don't take it all with us. Leave something behind. So let's think about it with the water. Let's leave water behind for eternity. Let's do this together. I want to thank you for listening, and you have a nice day, and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 